FMX Network production. A series of the most exciting action imaginable. Welcome to the Leanne Re-Raceables presented by Maxis Tires, Scott Goggles, and Pro Taper. Mathis and Weege revisit the instant classics from yesteryear, spotlighting those historic moto moments that simply never grow old. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Lee at Re-Raceables podcast, Vegas 95. Thank you for listening. Appreciate it. This is a crazy race for the reasons that we will lay out uh, later on. And uh, also, Jeff Emmett going to join us as well. Uh, Seth Rarick and Jason Wigand, of course, on the show. Thank you to the folks at Lee at, man. Different people ride for different reasons, yet there's a common denominator that binds everyone who puts their body in the line for the sheer enjoyment. This is what Lee at offers as a brand. They make gear, helmets, goggles, riding gear. Knee braces, boots, neck braces, covering riders from head to toe. Great mountain bike stuff as well. But what Liat really stands for is a promise of things to come. They are in the business of making sure that they have the confidence and the equipment to push yourself faster, harder, and further than you thought you could go. Visit them at Liat.com. If you want a deal on the folks at anything from the folks at Liat, uh, email us using the contact form on pulpamex.com, and we'll pass on a code to save directly from the folks at Liat. That's what you get for listening to this podcast, a code to save with Liat. Thank you to those guys, solitaire guys, uh, rocking the Liat out there in Supercrosses as well. Uh, please, thank you. Support the guys uh, that support this pod if you really like it. Thanks to the folks at Guts Racing, Decal Works, Scott Goggles, and Maxis Tires as well. We'll tell you more about them later on in the show. And, uh, yeah, Vegas 95, man, the race that the lights went out and some weird stuff happened behind the scenes. All right, let's get Weege and Rarick on the line to uh, talk about this and more. All right, everybody, let's uh, let's get the two other uh, co-hosts on the line to talk Vegas 95, Lee at Re-Raceables. First up from RacerX Online, um, it's Jason Wigand. What's up, Weege? Yeah, wow, we're back for Re-Raceables, uh, doing this on a Sunday night because we just can't help ourselves, guys. We're going to do pods on Sunday night, whether there's a race <laughs> or not. So tonight, it's Lee at Re-Raceables. Can you imagine how mad JT would be if he had to do this? He'd be so so angry. I'd be so tired. Yeah, yeah, I'd be so tired. 6 p.m., his time is bedtime. <laughs> uh, also on the line, all the way from Florida, is Seth Rarick. What's up, Rarick? Oh, not a whole lot, guys. Just uh, been enjoying doing these, so excited to talk some more moto. Yeah, we're going to have Jeff M.A. coming up, as I said off the intro, who won his first ever AMA Supercross uh, 250 main event, now 450 uh, this night. And I can't wait to talk to Fro as far as, like, what this was like. Because, um, yeah, for people who don't know, Vegas 95, uh, the last round of the 1995 Supercross series, and things are, things are going along just normal. Uh, well, except for the heat race of McGrath, which I'll get into. But, um... Then the lights go out in the stadium, and there's about an hour delay, and they find some backup lights. They find some generators. Honda gives uh, Art Ekman a generator for the booth. Um, there's a lot of things going on, and then the, most of the factory riders decide to not race. They say it's too dark, and the announcers are kind of saying it's not that bad. And then uh, it, it kind of seemed like all the factory riders were not supposed to race, but then Larry Ward was racing because Jeff Emig decided to race because Larry wanted to get second in the points. Jeff Emig raced. He won. Larry raced. Uh, Cowie, no Cowie guys. No Honda guys. No Mike Jones either, which I'm going to get into later because that's a random one. Um, and, and so, yeah, it was very controversial. Now, there's people to this day when you talk to people like Davey Coombs or Jeremy McGrath. I have. 
who say it was more than about dark lights. It was uh, it was the, the the promotion company and the riders uh, butting heads and, and the race promoters as well involved in that. And it was sort of a stand about many things besides the lights. Uh, Weege, do I have that right in your eyes and, and, and take it away from your perspective? Yeah, but I've actually always been confused, and that's why it'll be cool to get Emig on the line. Because, yes, we've all heard these stories a lot through the years. And one of the cool things about this show here is that guys like us who grew up following this sport, and now, Steve, you and I are old, um, we tend to think like, yeah, everybody knows what happened with that 95 race. And then people hit us up on Twitter, and they're like, yo, I'm looking at these results of this race. What the heck happened? And we're like, oh, people don't all know about the night the lights went out. And then the background of that. Yes, there was riders were apparently somewhat mad at the promoters already. The sport was not in a great spot in the mid 90s, and it would get a lot better really quickly, maybe because the riders were taking a bit of a stand at this point. So they were, I guess, already kind of looking for the series to make improvements. And then this lights thing, I think, was maybe the catalyst for them to be like, okay, we've got the promoters in a corner now. But I don't even know the exact timing. Well, from hearing these stories, I'm always like, what happened first? Was the Riders' letter, we're going to form a union, started before the lights, and then coincidentally the lights came an hour later? Or did the, we need to all get together and form a union come after the lights went out or at the same time? Yeah, I mean, there's Jeff Emig's quote in Cycle News after, you know, he won the damn race. He said, the series is the same as it was 10 years ago. This is from Cycle News. There's no points fund. They keep taking, taking, taking. We keep giving, giving, giving. We, the riders, are getting shortchanged. Safety was just part of the problem tonight. It's a quote from Jeff Emig in some cycle news. So yeah, and just to get background on, I think where the, why the series was where it was. Remember, there was the Camel Supercross series, and it had Coors as a sponsor uh, for a couple of years. And then I think '94 is when that all ended. I think that was the last year for that. Um, so that's a lot of sponsorship money. And I remember it being jarring when the series started. In it had been the Camel Supercross series. That's a big mainstream at that time. You know, cigarettes were big money, and then they had Coors money as well. And then all of a sudden, remember when the 95 series started, it was just called the U.S. Supercross Series. And I think, like, AXO was, like, had a lot of logos. And you're like, dude, that had to be a massive hit. Um, from Because I think Camel was putting up maybe 100 grand to win the title. Yeah. And, and Coors was putting up, like, 10 grand for the fastest heat race. So all that money was just gone. Um, so maybe that was part of it. Um, the other thing that was that really needed to be fixed for the entire history of Supercross was since the start of Supercross – it was a variety of the bigger motocross promoters. Each had, say, four or five Supercross races. So you had four or five different promoters, each doing four or five races. And I think, you know, in the 90s, this is like when companies are starting to merge and consolidate. It was like, if it could just be one group, it would be a whole lot better. Mm -hmm. And th these changes would come quickly. Like by 96, 97, the sport was making massive strides. But in 95, it was in a bit of a lull. Yeah, the next year would be, I believe, the team-up of uh, Alan Becker and the Chicago guys, and Bill West was involved. Bill West was a Southeast promoter guy. Uh, there was definitely more uh, uh, definitely more um, of a, of Wait, a corporation. So, so 90, this wasn't Pace yet? 95 wasn't the Pace group? I don't think so. I think it was called Air. And then Pace came in with Gary Becker and I know. I think Pace did some of it. That's oh, what it okay. was. Like, so Pace again, was, yeah. like Pace did, say, Houston, or maybe they did. Every promoter had like four races in, yeah. in like his region. So the, the um, yeah. had to come either 96 or 97. I mean, Nine? Pace was the first unified 
Um, yeah, yes. and that was 97 with, with yeah, Pace okay. and Gary Becker merging. Um, I did a story with uh, yeah. uh, Gary Becker. Uh, sorry, Alan Becker was the father. I did a story with Gary Becker in a podcast with a great podcast with the history of getting everybody together. Um, and that's 97 was really when it started. So two, 96 was sort of in flux. 97, uh, uh, definitely more cooperation and one promoter and everybody was figuring everything out. Um, but yeah, Seth Rowe, and, and a massive oh. growth from there. But yeah. Seth Rowe, can you yep. imagine in 2024 if the factory riders just got together and sort of said, hey, we're, we don't like the track conditions. We're not racing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think there's a chance for it to work better nowadays, though. I mean, I'm I'm really excited to do this one or interested to hear Fro's take because I'm a little bit with weeds here uh i'm i'm not for the record i'm not a conspiracy theorist guy i'm not the guy that runs down all these rabbit holes and uh waste times uh, <clears throat> waste my time on things i'll never know the answer to but this one here i'm with weeds i never quite understood like i had always i mean i remember reading about it in mcgrath's book when i was a little kid and hearing people talk about it but i was never sure what the did the light the lights going out was that a plan thing no oh no no the lights or, blue no the lights yeah, okay blue yeah, and then I, yeah when i when i rewatched this it was oh the you know the transformer blue okay that's simple explanation for that but um I, I just heard so many rumors about this race like there was already talk of a union happening or did it happen after this i I don't really know, and that's why this sounds what? really but I texted you about James Eichel, because I was always told from multiple people that James Eichel was like a privateer beating the drum. Yeah, he was. He had a, yeah, he had, a, he had a letter going around. I saw it. I was around then. But, the letter, yes. So but, he was the one who made the letter? Nah, nobody was really listening to Eichel, I'll be honest. I didn't hear a <laughs> lot of like, hey, Eichel's doing this. It was Stanton did try to do something in 90. Four, I think. Uh, Wyndham tried something in 90, uh, maybe 2000 something. <laughs> Anyways, there's been a number of attempts, but like Keith McCarty's quoted as saying, safety was not the issue. The 125s raced. The 125 main event was the exact same conditions as the 250s, and all the factory riders, quote unquote, lined up and did it. Like Damon Huffman, factory Suzuki, <laughs> he was out there. Um, it was. It, this was definitely more of a of a uh, we're not happy with the, the purse fund and things like that. Oh look, the lights are off. This is just another shit show of the year and. And we're leaving, and and Kudowski, <laughs> Kudowski and McGrath were already gone by the time the main event went. I guess the fans are getting unruly. You can hear the boos on the broadcast yeah. for the main event. Yes. Yeah, the boos are going yeah. are coming down. And Roy Turner, the Cowie uh, team manager, I mean, a little bit just completely throws the riders under the bus in an interview. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't very happy. No, but you know, from watching this though, I would say the lights were the least of anyone's worries. I'd say the track was the problem. I mean, how how god awful was that track? Not great. Back to back whoops, though, were pretty tough for these dudes. Yes, but Dude. just because they were like the banana peel for Mario Kart. <laughs> I mean, that was the worst track. I mean, the last one we did was Houston 01, and we all complimented the track and how good it was. Uh, Vegas 95, I do not think you can make a yes. worse track. If you yes, try. you can, Rarick. Oh, yes. And Weege knows what I'm going to say here. Go back and watch Phoenix 86. <laughs> they did some sort of truck race that night also and there's never been a worse track than phoenix 86 phoenix 86 yeah. i'm gonna not gonna lie i have no knowledge of that one I go watch to... it i think it's on youtube uh yeah, it, yeah i gotta it, look that it, up. it's great uh yeah cycle news you know um we each uh cycle news story um wonder if you can, i'll give you three guesses we each on who wrote this cycle news story uh can i just have one <laughs> yes 
is uh, Kit Palmer. Kit Palmer, of course. <laughs> Kit Palmer, yep. Kit Palmer, who uh, we, we talked to in Anaheim 1 this year. And I think, what was it? Anaheim 82? Yeah. Was the first uh, Anaheim 1 that he covered? Something like that. 82, yep. 83, yep. something like that. So, um, yeah, when you've covered almost every Supercross for the last 40-some years, of course he's the one covering this. And I do have to say, and Cycle News was always good for this, um, I mean, they were kind of like a newspaper. They were very uh, unbiased, but also, I believe anything that happened, Cycle News covered. I don't think there was a lot of cover-ups. Um, I don't want to get into a huge aside here on Cycle News, but if you read Cycle News back then, the letters would be like, the heads of the companies and team managers and riders and agents writing letters. Like if something went down, it was getting in the pages of cycle. Well, so excellent job for kit. I feel like he really did a good job of covering all the angles of this, yeah. not taking a side, but covering it all. Yeah, I agree. He does a really yep. good quotes in here from Keith and Bill West is quoted, who was the promoter, mm-hmm. you know, yep. uh, he said, we're ready to talk if these guys want to talk, but the comfort, the track was safe. Uh, yep. You know all this, uh, yeah. Do you ever remember on a, on another aside? Do you ever remember the cycle news? I think it was in the late nineties. Weege, uh, Emig made a quote in a story about how he's not cheap like Brock Glover. Oh, all time. And then Glover writes a letter to Cycle News that gets published the next week about how he's not cheap, and Fro should be careful with his money because blah blah blah. And then, no, not blah blah blah, not blah blah blah. Oh. You'll enjoy this, Seth. Okay. He said, Fro should be cheap with his money. And he said, there is a difference between me and you, Jeff Emig. By the time I was your age, I had several AMA national championships, and you do not. <laughs> <laughs> and then Fro, I think Fro wrote a, wrote a letter the next week apologizing. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, they were, writing, they were like, writing letters yep. to each other. Yes. Bro. <laughs> Through cycle news. Yeah. Why don't you just pick up the phone? I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I know. Dude, I read one. I read one where uh, Greg Albertine, Greg Albertine writes a letter saying that the purse is garbage in Supercross. And then the next week, they have a letter from um, uh, Paul Schlegel, who promoted the Pontiac Supercross and helped. Um, he was the co-founder of Loretta's. And he writes back to Albie in Cycle News. And he's like, he, I will show you the receipts from Miami and Philadelphia and Washington, D.C., and all the races I promoted and all the money I lost. If you want a piece of the action, Albie, you've got to be in on the bad days and the good. So let me know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, In the letter yeah. section. Can we talk? So they about, would call can, each other out hard. Can we talk yes. about so Weege, I kind of thought this was um, the era of Art and David Bailey recording afterwards, but they're at the stadium, so the the story changes a whole bunch. Um, you know, at one point Bailey's like the Honda riders didn't even go look at the track. He was bummed yeah. about that, uh, and then at some point Bailey said Henry did go out, but then McGrath was out. Henry went out to the track, but then McGrath was out, so he was out, and then. They they say West McCoy from Honda gave the booth a generator. Bailey says <laughs> Honda always comes through. It, it's all over the map. They're trying to get. I don't know who's. I don't know who's listening to them, talk and then correcting them, or if they're just getting. They're not getting text in '95. Someone's running up to the booth to correct them. Like Art yeah, and David like are correcting each other. Like, yeah, it seems like they're just getting like. Uh... <laughs> You know, messages in a in a bottle from a <laughs> from a pigeon or something. Yeah, yeah. They were not they were not getting information in time. That's for sure. No, it was all over the map as to what was going on and what happened. You know. Um, yeah, yeah. During the main, yeah. they'd be like, "Wait, we just found out that Henry was going to race, but McGrath was already out of his gear and had already left." So then Henry's like, "Well." Yeah, and it's like during the main, they're finding this out, and this is hours after, right? Yeah. Didn't they say it was a two-hour delay or something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was it was bizarre to listen to them because they, they weren't on their game because they were trying to spice in information, 
during the during the race on what happened and why the stars weren't out there. No Kordowski, uh no Swink, no McGrath, no Henry. Um, yeah, no Mike Jones, no Mike Jones. Yeah, so can we explain why? Yeah, out of all people, I really I, figured Jones would be the one to line up. I guarantee you that hour delay, Jonesy just was like, "I'm going to the bar." <laughs> In <laughs> Vegas, yeah, like it's Vegas. <laughs> and also. It- Am I crazy, or is this way past Jonesy's uh, prime racing days? Oh, he raced for he, dude. He kept racing. Yeah, no. In ninety, 90- I don't remember him. I mean, ninety five. I guess. No, nope. ninety seven. He raced too. Ninety seven, ninety eight. Wow, he was out really? there in Supercross. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So ninety eight, wow. no ninety eight. He was doing freestyle in ninety eight and so racing. He was, still, yeah. he was still racing. Oh yeah, yeah. Like heart, like he was doing the full series. Uh, most of them, yeah, East Coast stuff or something, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, I don't remember. He was I remember, 50, yeah. 58, I think, in 97 or 98. And I do not remember Jonesy racing at that point. But, yeah, yeah, him racing was very surprising to me, even though it shouldn't have been. Like you said, the delay, hour, two-hour delay yeah. was enough to um, get sidetracked. Right. It was, uh, yeah, it was really, really weird. Uh, by the way, um, thanks to the folks at Liat. Thank you to the folks at Guts Racing. Great seats. I want people to know that Guts Racing gave me a seat cover for my bike and – I've been getting a lot of flack on social media. It's a great seat cover, but I put it on with wrinkles, and I want people to know that it wasn't Guts who did that. It was me, former factory mechanic. So don't blame Guts for my wrinkled seat cover that I'm getting flack on social for. Uh, GutsRacing.com, Pulp MX 2024, the company to save. Whether you want seats, uh, seat covers or seat bases, seat foams, all of it. For folks at Guts work with a lot of top teams in the pits, and uh, they can uh, customize your seat cover for you. It's no problem. Thank you to the folks at Maxxis Tires as well. Great mountain bike tires, of course, and light truck tires, but also PRMX and Mad Parts Kawasaki guys using Maxxis tires out there. Thank you to the folks at Maxxis. Soft intermediate, intermediate to hard terrain tires. And uh, thanks to the folks at Maxxis tires for coming on board. And if you want a discount at Liat, just email us. Uh, we'll send you a code to save with the folks at um, Liat, Uh Great guys down there. Um, okay, can we... Hold on. I got, oh. I, we got more talk on J- Mike Jones here. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so in the Cycle News story... It says after the lights go out, they pulled in portable lighting. I, I believe from the pits in the parking lot, from what I've heard. I think they brought in the parking lot and pits lighting and moved it onto the track, lit it up. And then it says in Cycle News, they took three riders, Cliff Palmer, Mike Jones, and Mike Healy, to do test laps to determine if the track was safe. So if I follow this right, Jones is one of the three riders to do the laps and say, we're good. And, and then, then he later, left. he is one of the ones that doesn't race. Did you just say Mike Healy? Yeah, Mike Healy, yes. too. Yeah, it says that in Cycle News. Healy's around? I don't know, man. <laughs> Dude, great. what? I'm vaulting Mike Healy right now. There's no way. <laughs> I do not remember Mike Healy coming back and racing Supercross. Yeah, Mike. Dude, tra- whoa, 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 whoa. 1999. Yeah. Still- I was <laughs> just going to say that. Mike raced 98, 99. He raced Daytona one year. Oh, yeah. Stray Cat. Um, uh, okay. Oh, uh, no, we're not too crazy. He did one one race in 95 and one race in 99. And His he, last really 93. And he so. tried to race Daytona in 98, didn't qualify for the main. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah. So basically, I like how t- Roy Turner, by the way, throws his guys under the bus, and then Wes McCoy, the man, the team manager for Honda, is like, "The safety of our riders is paramount, and we stand behind their decision." And we are very sorry, disappointed, and intend to reward the fans' patience and understanding with a great event next year. But Roy Turner's just like, "I don't know, man. We thought it was okay, but the guys didn't want to race." So <laughs> <laughs> Turner just driving that bus over his guys a little bit. Um, uh, by the way, the mains were cut to 10 laps and 15 laps, which Turner was upset about because he said if the track's safe enough for 15 laps, it should be safe enough for 20. Um, God, could, 
Weege, if we were like in the pits as media guys in 95 Vegas, there would have been a lot of juicy quotes and juicy comments. That's for sure. And yeah, it's tough. Also, what is up with the, the 125 class was not a shootout this year. This was just West Coast. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, um, so I was thinking about that. I believe that also was a money thing. Like, the shootout had had, I think, 10 grand of the winner for a little bit, like maybe 89 and 90. And then I think in 92, it was like, oh, we're going to see Swink against McGrath. And then Swink decided, nah, I'm just going to race 250 class and get experience for next year. Then they canceled the shootout altogether, and they just ran a 125 West round. So I think it was gone. I think it was gone. Just so another sign of it things weren't back. awesome. In the it sport didn't come back till uh, till ninety seven then because ninety six the the finale was at Denver. Yeah, yep. So and the it, shootout was not a thing till ninety seven. Ninety seven, yeah. And it was, everybody remembers that one. It was Tim Ferry versus RC. Everyone remembers that one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Um, oh, by the way, too, Kudowski said the factory riders that rode they don't care about the future. So Kudowski's mad. Jeff Emig's not mad. He will. He led wire to wire. Um, a very, very bizarre race for sure. Can we, before we get Fro on the line though, what did, did you guys watch Henry just track down MC, pass him, leave him behind and then Jeremy crashes? Like what the hell? Henry was unreal in that heat race. <laughs> I and they said he had just won six heat races in a row. We, right, right. Did you hear that? Yes, I did. I did hear that. And I'm just like, What? So this is, this is the year he does the Bud's Creek, right? Ninety five. Yes. So, yep. like, it kind of makes me wonder about what could have been. I've never really looked at Doug in that way. Like, he's great. He's a ch- outdoor guy, and but dude, yeah, like six heat races in a row, wind in, in a row, and then he catches and passes Jeremy in the heat and drops him. Like, okay, so McGrath clinched the title last week in Cleveland, the week before in Cleveland. First and only Supercross race ever in Cleveland. So maybe Jeremy was enjoying Vegas. I don't know. But, wow, Doug Henry. Good job. No, Doug, Doug was on rails in that heat race. <laughs> that was very impressive. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was amazing. I, I would not have put money on that, like, you know, just that they went and took off and whatever, you know. Um. So the big and the big the big thing going into this too, uh, the big discussion going into this was Larry Ward holding on to second in the points, which privateer rider Kudrowski was third and Emig was fourth, and Larry was basically like at the interview at the end of the night, Larry raced and Larry said at the end of the night, well, Jeff Emig raced, so I had to race. I didn't want to race. Like Larry just was like blaming everything on Jeff. Like he was like, I, I didn't want to race, but you know I want to hold on to second in the points, and when Jeff lined up, I had no choice. So interesting to see that. But Larry ward just, yeah, second in the points. Yeah, he started the year on fire. I think he had five podiums to start it. Um, the, I think the Cowie guys, Kudrowski and LaRocco, were considered McGrath's biggest competitors going into 95, and they kind of started the year slow. LaRocco eventually got it together. And like halfway through the year, LaRocco was only down like 15 points. But then he broke his arm, and there was Ward just still getting thirds, fourths, fifths, and uh, un- unbelievable. But Larry – but. Is there anything when you look at Larry Ward's career, would you? Is there anything you wouldn't believe happened, high or low? Yeah, probably not. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, it's one of the most. I've mean, said this before. One of the craziest careers ever. At any moment, he could be anybody at any time. But then, like three years would go by where he wouldn't do much of anything, and then he'd just be back. And then he just win a moto on a Moto Triple X bike. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what ninety as a rookie, he leads almost leads the series. He wins Seattle. 
That is bad for a while. It gets dropped by Suzuki. I think it was okay in 94 on this no lean sizzler team. Then all of a sudden, 95, he's awesome again. Mm -hmm. Then he gets a Honda Troy ride, kind of a couple so so what years. And then no he's on after this. Then he's factory Suzuki. Yep. And then he wins. Race. And he wins Tampa. <laughs> what, <clears throat> what happened to this no lean? Because they were talking at the end of this, they're like, even if a factory ride came along, he'd probably be better off staying there. He's yeah. obviously good on this team. But then this team, did it disappear? No, the, the next year it was just uh, Kyle Lewis and Shane Drew. My buddy Shane Drew is his mechanic. So did he just get more money from to switch to Honda of Troy? I'm sure. Yeah, when I, I had the, knowing what I know now from Shane and Larry and Kyle, and like there's <laughs> yeah. zero chance, Bailey, that Larry Ward is staying at Nolene. Like there's just zero. Uh, Clark owed him a bunch of money, I guess. And like, oh, okay. Like there was just no way Larry was staying there. You know, so like I know what David said about no pressure, and that's when Larry Ward performs. And you could make a case for that based on his European results, too, right? But, um, yeah, I'm not really, I'm not really buying that, knowing what you know behind the scenes, you know? So, yeah, when yeah. I, uh, when I, at the beginning, when they're talking about the battle for between him and Kudrowski for second in points, I'm like, I knew Larry was good that year. I, I vaguely remember that, but I didn't realize how good he was. But then after the heat race, I go, dude, how is he beating Henry in points? Like, Henry was unreal in the heat. So I I vaulted. I looked at Henry's results from that season, and he was really good all year. I mean, top five guy basically every week. Dude, the first half of the year, Larry was just better. Larry really? Was like, we, yeah, so like we just said, Larry was straight up podium guy for, like, the first half of the Basically stacked all his points in the first half of the year, you know? Like, he was, he was so, so good, and I'm – I mean, can you imagine that now, a privateer guy, like on a satellite team, just being that good? Yeah, no, it's 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 crazy to think of back then. And also, like, when you lost a factory ride back in the day, you never got one back. Larry yes. was Larry was the guy who started that. Yes, know? like like this year, we're we're really giving Ferrandis a lot of cre credit, a lot of praise. I think Dylan's wrote very well. He's done really good every week. But uh and he's like, you know, fifth, sixth seventh eighth place guy imagine like a larry ward type performance second third every week that would yep. be astonishing i mean i guess like it's chad on his own team i mean that really was a production bike before he, he got help yeah. yeah you know i don't know yeah i, I yeah i don't know it, it we can you think of any anybody else i mean i i was a a mechanic for two top privateers in supercross timmy in 99 nick in 02 and we were never top five well, Timmy got on the box at Indy, Indy, oh, Indy 99, Timmy got on the box. Um, so that was awesome. That was a full no-lean bike, right? Just janky privateer status. Um, so that was pretty cool to get podium in a supercross, but generally it was never a top five performance. Well, actually, Timmy's a perfect example here. I, I could not tell as a fan watching these races on TV. Like what? So then Timmy eventually got upgraded to Chaparral, which is semi somewhat factory because they had McGrath, right? Yeah, well, no, that bike was not a factory bike. That was just Enzo and Pro Circuit. McGrath had a well, factory his bike. Well, bike. Yeah, Chaparral right? bike was not a factory bike, yeah. But even then, even that, like, <clears throat> was it a big step as far as you know? From the Nolene bike? Yeah. Yes, the very first day of testing at Paris, Timmy's like, I'm going to loop out everywhere. Yeah, so I think that's the thing you have to keep in mind. There's, like, it's hard to define privateer. It's like Nolene wasn't even I, – I bet you Chad's – knowing Chad – there was no doubt to me his bike had to be closer, even if it was production. Like, he went to Mitch and pretty yeah. much said, give me the best stuff you got, right? Yeah. yeah. That's probably better than this. Probably, yeah. Yeah, you're right. 
I would think so. Yeah. So you're, you're so Timmy went to a non-factory bike that was still better. Yes. Than an old bike. Well, to, for example, not to sidetrack, but we went 11, 11, 11, 11 the first two rounds in '99 <laughs> outdoors. Yeah. Got the Chaparral ride, and I think Timmy went five six or six six the next round. The first round Jeez. of Chaparral, like a five Jeez. spot jump from the yeah. better bike, right? So kind of like his Moto Triple X year with the suspension chains. Yes, yes, that also <laughs> right. Um, absolutely. But at the same time, yep. it's Larry Ward who had already been a factory guy, had won a race. At the same time, it's like it's also Larry Ward. So mm-hmm. I don't know how you classify this. He's really good <laughs> yeah. at times. Yeah, Dude, Larry was phenomenal. Yeah, he yes. was we, so good. We are gonna get him on one of these. We we've been texting with him a little bit. Uh, somewhere we try, we try, fans. If you're if you're mad at us for not doing it, it is not from lack of trying. No, he will join us at some point. I think on this podcast to tell of a story about Seattle '90 or uh, God knows which one we could do with Larry Ward. So uh, there's a lot. Uh, w- let's um, let's talk to Jeff Emig, and then I still want to talk about Jeff Demant and the Whoops and. Other things about this main event and the 125 one as well, uh, but let's uh, let's get Jeff Emig on the line to talk about his first career 250 Supercross main event, Vegas 95 Liat Reracables. All right, it's time uh, Vegas 95 winner here in the Liat Reracables, uh, multiple time uh, Supercross Motocross champion race winner, Jeff Emig. What's up, man? How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks, you guys. I uh, appreciate being on and. I haven't thought about this race in a long time, so I'm glad I had a chance to watch the race uh, online and uh, establish or, you know, try to remember what happened. Yeah, it's I got a lot of questions. Let's start with Wygant. Wygant, you can start this off. Go ahead. Okay, and it's unfortunate we're putting all this on you because this involved a lot of different people, a lot of different riders, but you're the winner, so winners get to tell the history. Here's We all know lighting went bad, and then they brought in portable lighting, and that wasn't great, but then we also heard it wasn't just about that. The riders were kind of forming a sem. I don't. I shouldn't use the word union. It wasn't that organized. But what was the timing of that? Was there already talk of this? The riders were mad thing before the lights, or did that yeah. kick it off? Yeah. So you know, here we are going into the final race, still working my ass off that week to try to win. I really wasn't, you know, wasn't really up to speed to win. Uh, it gets the full field, you know, unless I got the whole shot and got a little bit lucky type of thing. But what I remember happening is that earlier in the day, like maybe before practice, you know, because we didn't used to have practice till what one o'clock or something, maybe like, um, is there was like somebody circulated a bunch of, like letters, if you will, like not just one letter, but the same letter printed, you know, to send it to a hundred people. I don't know, whatever. So it comes through, uh, comes through the Yamaha truck. And I don't remember the, I don't remember the, the root of it. I'm not even sure that there was, that I was privy to that information. Even then, like, well, who's, who's thinking about doing this? I know that sometime Around that time, maybe after, there had been some talk that Jeff Stanton and we used to have the same uh, CPA, Dave Stevenson, that Stanton had talked about sort of gathering everybody together for a collective body, whatever you want to call it, to, you know, be able to have a voice in things. But this, I, I, don't, I don't remember exactly where it came from, but it had everybody on edge. You know, because think about it at the time there was there was no championship point fund. Um, 
you know, put it into perspective, that season, I think Yamaha paid me a $275,000 salary, you know, so, um, and I was, let's say, a top five rider, you know what I mean? So there was, there was the, I think there was a, a, a real feeling that the promoters are making a lot of money. Guys like myself or McGrath or Hughes or anybody else that was going out of their way, you know, and there's a number of guys that it wasn't just, just us, but we were going out of our way to promote ourselves. I mean, we're at the stadium on, you know, Friday mornings at 6 a.m. to do morning news and any of that stuff that we could do for Mickey Thompson Entertainment Group. It would have been Pace out of Texas, correct? Yep. Gary Becker and all them. Yep. Yep. And then the West, and then the West brothers were on the East coast. So the promoting group, there were three different promoters, if I remember correctly. And so there was kind of a sense like, Hey, these, these fat cats are making all the money and we're not getting paid anything. And I believe that there was at some point before that a championship points fund, but during that time there wasn't. So that was sort of the gist of, Hey, we're not getting paid properly. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So there was this was all before the lights. Yep. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. That's bad timing for the lights to go out. <laughs> That's why at the beginning. Of I don't know. There were rumors that somebody saw Jack McGrath walking around with a big fuse out of a transformer. <laughs> I'm not. I don't know. I, I'm just saying. That's what I heard. I didn't see it myself. <laughs> no, but there was just a sense, you know, of that, and uh, and then it's like. You know, so that was sort of going into the night, you know. Um, so I guess, Keith, so it seems like reading Cycle News, Jeff, that the team managers kind of left it up to you. And Doug and Jeremy were like, no, we're out. Kudrowski was out. Roy Turner said, hey, it's it's their choice. I didn't make that. But you had mentioned and a couple other people that Keith said, go ride it and see how it is. Um, and, and you know, truthfully, on the broadcast, to me, it looks okay. Uh, you know, but was it? Sketchy? Well, the lighting, the lighting was never good there, anyway. But yeah. that being said, is that I didn't remember that we had basically made it through qualifying. Yes. Yeah. Maybe, maybe through the LCQs. Uh, yeah, I like think it said before the two fifty LCQ. Probably, I'm guessing after one twenty five LCQ before two fifty. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Keith. Um, was really instrumental in bringing a rational um, thought to the situation, okay? He had been my team manager for five years, and the first thing that he said is, okay, is it unsafe? And I'm like, and I don't really see well, like Supercross was always tough for me, lighting was always difficult, Um, but... He said, "Go, go out and look at it, and and if it is good, then race. If it's not, not don't." Um, and I went out there, and I'm like, "Man, I go ride Star West like every Tuesday night because I used to try to force myself to ride in darker situations to try to, you know, be better at nighttime." Mm. And I'm like, "Man, I go ride, you know, Star West almost every Tuesday, and I don't." get paid anything for it you know 
And so I'm like, the lighting is not, it's not the same as normal, but I thought it was acceptable. But the big thing was when I talked to Keith and I'm like, well, you know, and so then there's the letter, right? There's this thought that, hey, this unionizing and all this stuff. Okay, we're going to stick it to the man by not going racing. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Keith's like, man, if you think that by not racing tonight, that you are going to twist the arms of these very powerful promoting businessmen, you are sadly fucking mistaken. <laughs> like, you are not. It's like you, you, you think that you're going to tell Bill West and Gary Becker and um, who was running uh, uh, Mickey Thompson Entertainment yeah. Group at the time. Uh, anyway, yeah. it's like no, this is this is not the time to start the conversation. Because think about it, it wasn't like. There were, there were, I mean, there was a deal on the table and we had been negotiating for six months. It was, the letter happens at 11 a.m. Now it's 8.30 p.m. And all of a sudden, you know, we're not going to ride because of the lighting. Okay. So, and I, and I can't speak for anybody else. Keep in mind, I'm only speaking for myself. I can't speak for any of the riders that chose not to ride. They have their own agenda their own comments about whether they thought it was safe or not whether they're writing because hey we want to stick it to the man or not i don't know i don't i don't know any of that and each writer i guess we're each um you know have the choice mm -hmm. that if if we don't feel it's safe don't go ride so end of end of story with that right for me i was like i talked to keith and i said hey i, I think it's safe enough to ride and Keith's like, man, you've been training again all week. Like you've been trying to win your super, first Supercross, first, you know, premier class race. He goes, fuck it, go race, you know? And then as I learned by watching the broadcast again is that, you know, I was close enough to Larry Ward, who was third, and then Kudrowski was second, correct? Or vice versa. Larry, yeah, Larry was or second, of, right, yep. So Larry was second. And so if I didn't ride and Mike didn't ride, he wouldn't row. But then... Because if I had won the race, I would have passed him in points. And there was probably somewhere along the line, there's probably a Yamaha bonus, or he probably mm -hmm. had a bonus through no, through no lean or something of the sort. So then he gets forced to race also. But, you know, I mean, there was, there was a group that, that decided, yeah, I think it's safe enough to race. Mm -hmm. And so maybe the third element for me is that, and this was really genuine. It's like, Man, these people are here for a show. I think it's good enough to ride. To, to it's not perfect, but you know, let's go put on a show for the fans that are here. And yes, I, I in, in you know, by doing that, I would have broke ranks with the riders that decided not to ride. But nobody came and talked to me. You know, we didn't all have a group riders meeting, mm -hmm. and everyone decides they're not going to ride, and then. I decide I am going to ride. There was we kind of were all on our own. So there, so there wasn't this. I just remember before you were on Jeff, the beginning of this call, we were talking about it. My my little kid memory or the rumors I had heard over the years about this. So there wasn't any talks of a formed alliance or union between the factory guys. That if you know this, firstly, I guess what I'm trying to ask is this lighting thing wasn't planned. This was a coincidence and. Once once it did happen, there was no talk uh, between the factory guys of "Hey, we all can't race." There, there was none of that. Everyone was left to their own choice. Is that how it was? Yeah, that's that's definitely what I felt. The the letter discussing these 
uh, you know, this situation happened and then the lighting thing happened. And do I don't you, know, do you think like I said, I can't, I can't speak. What's that? Do you think that was a coincidence? Because I'm, I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist guy, but I've always heard that the letter, um, the letter going around, and then the timing of this, someone caused this to happen. But from watching the broadcast, it just seems like it was a just a crazy coincidence. Yeah, that would. I, I mean, like I said, I, I can't. Like, it's not like, you know, anyone like intentionally sabotaged the event. You know, I, I mean. Because it really wasn't good for anyone for something like that to happen, yeah. you know. And I think that I think that the promoting group, um, which would have been uh, MTEG for that array for that race, you know, to scramble and Roy Jansen, everybody from the AMA to 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 create the lighting situation that they did, and then give the athletes the opportunity to to say, "Hey, look, you know, here it is." What do you guys think? Because in the end, you know, it's our butts on the seats, you know? Yeah. Did you did you get heat from Mike or Jeremy or Henry or like in, in the ensuing weeks? Did anybody say anything to you? Well, they, let's talk about let's, – let's, let's, let's talk about that at the end, yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. <laughs> uh, All right. I like it. Um, Steve, little okay. premature Steve. Okay. So, so as far as the race goes, Jeff, I mean, you're gone. You check out. You get the mint right away, and then they barely show you. You take off, and it – Probably one of the easier races for your for your career, and I'm wondering, like Jeff, you won a ton of races. It would be different if this was your only Supercross race. Uh, but when you look back, your next win was the Epic St. Louis, where you ended the streak. Great race. Does did that one feel different than Vegas '95? You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, dude, it was the mid '90s. If McGrath wasn't at the race, a Supercross race. And you want it? McGrath wasn't there. Okay. And you want it. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, we could we, we do races in Europe and all that and it's like, you know, <laughs> he was so dominant and in Supercross he had showed a a prowess and a and a uh like a domination over the field um that yeah, he was the guy to beat. And everybody was basically trying to be Jeremy. None of us were really trying to beat anybody else. Yeah. Everybody was, you know, everybody was just trying to be Jeremy. So this so, one wasn't, yeah. yeah, this one wasn't like, oh my God, I did it. I, you know, I'd finally reached my pinnacle. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Certainly, certainly, even at the time, great. I, I made a $50,000 bonus from Yamaha that night, yeah. which was a lot of money at the time. Mm-hmm. Actually still is. Um and 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 I got my names in the record book. But okay. Yeah. E- even with the friction that Jeremy and I had at the time, like I'm very aware of. Yes, I won this, and Larry got a bad start, and he just needed to finish second to secure second in the title, and like all this. You know, I knew there wasn't. Yeah. I wish you yeah. could see my hand motions right now. It's like I'm back on TV. My hands are going crazy. <laughs> but it's like I knew that you know this it, that it was what it was. It has this asterisk. Yeah. Next to it. Okay. So yeah, Ve- and Vegas yeah, '96. Vegas '96 was like, fuck yeah, did it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, sorry, Vegas, St. Louis. Sorry, St. Louis '96 was like, yeah, fuck yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of right. course, of right. course. And you know, and that one obviously, oh. you know, he had won every, he had won every, won every race that yeah. year. You're like, 
Yeah, that's a whole nother, you know, uh, we've talked about that before. Rarick, do you want to ask Jeff about the track? <laughs> yeah, I was just going to dive into that. Do you, I have two questions actually about that. Uh, one, do you have any recollection or did you not remember until you watched the broadcast? Um, how bad was that track? And was that, that had to be one of the worst, worst tracks of the year, right? I mean, there's no way they were all yeah. that, that bad that season. That track looked horrendous to ride. If I remember correctly, it was pretty hot, um, and yeah, super hard, dry, slick. And the one thing that really just caught my eye when I watched the race back is how slow is the track. Mm-hmm. It was like walking speed. Yeah, I think you had turns, to... watching the one watching the one through five main event. You're like, holy shit! Like, <laughs> are these guys on fifties? Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. And so that was an that was how Supercross was then. And you look at it, how choppy it is. The whoop sections were really choppy and notchy. And how they would, if I remember correctly, in the heat races, the track was fairly dry, and then they watered it some more. (laughs) And so then the main events, like the 125 main event was like, if you're not on the blue groove at the high part of the berm, if you go down, it's like mud. So it was mud and blue groove. It was really there. To jump the triples, like especially for the 125 guys, was really difficult. You know, when when do you see a supercross track nowadays where the 250s aren't jumping the triple? You know, it's like there's so much momentum and flow to the tracks, and then it was so choppy. It was so slow mm-hmm. and choppy, yeah. and <laughs> just a completely different era. The uh, the the corners is what you just said about the corners. That's what caught me off guard the most because there was literally one line. You had to be at the very top of the berm, uh, standing really all the way through the corner. <laughs> and at about midway through the race, they showed Albie. He was I don't know fifth or sixth or something, but he was trying to make a pass. He was he was trying to actually do a two for one, and it was a double into a corner and. It was just follow the leader. Like you had to ride the top part of the berm. And Albie went to double to the inside to pass. And as soon as he did, he realized, like, oh shit, I cannot, there's no way I can even stop or turn. So he yeah. did everything he could to avoid cleaning the two guys out in front of him. I think Ward might have been one of them, but I was watching that thinking, like, could you imagine this today? Like, imagine Vince Freeze today doubling to the inside right there. Like, whoever's oh, outside it- is done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're getting you're getting freezied and just about anywhere on the track for sure. Yeah, I just yeah. was blown away by the corners, man. That did not look like a fun track to ride at all. But another well, and that yeah, and that was the difference between the different builders that the promoters group had too. I don't know if it had consolidated by that point, but historically in the early '90s, uh, uh, Mickey Thompson Entertainment Group had a guy by the name of John Kitchen building the tracks and so that's why the west coast tracks had a different feel than the east coast tracks and and they you know they would have different obstacles and different sort of things so i'm not sure if that was the case in 95 but but leading up to that it would have been another another thing too i heard you mention in the the post-race interview and i i've heard you mention this throughout uh uh just podcasts or interview interviews you've done um, after your career has been over, and you you always mentioned that you felt like you didn't have the best the best eyesight or the greatest eyesight. And in the post race at Vegas '95, you mentioned that that I, I can't remember verbatim what you said, but you mentioned how it's 
um, that's something you always struggle with anyway is is just seeing at night. So you were always yeah. aware of that throughout your career, I'm assuming then, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even later on uh, in 98, at the end of summer, uh, I broke my thumb, had to bow out of the 250 Pro Motocross Championship. Um, and I, I got some uh, laser surgery on my eyes, um, thinking that that would help. And I, I mean, I never really won a Supercross after that, so evidently not. <laughs> <laughs> but you I didn't guess. have to wear. You, I need my money back. back. You didn't have to wear <laughs> contacts or glasses or anything. No, I I tried to wear contacts in '94, and that was just a, yeah, that was not good. That was not good. So what's interesting is even nowadays. So, um, I have to tape up my goggles. So I just take a black electrical tape and I tape up the whole top. And both sides of the bottom. So I no wear viral brand now. Yeah, I wear viral brand now. It'll be ninety degrees out, or you know, one hundred degrees in California, and my goggles are vented up because if the airflow, it's like the air goes across my eyes, and especially if it gets cold, like at night, or if I'm stressed from like dark, my eyes water a lot, and so my eyes used to water a lot. That was my biggest issue. My eyes would water, and I and um, yeah, and it, I was constantly just yeah, just wasn't good eyesight, which is not. Oh, you good mean being you mean tape up the you mean tape the ventilation holes, not the the not the lens. No, 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 not the lens. The ventilation holes, correct. Oh, okay, okay. I was gonna say, I'm like, oh, holy shit, you're looking through like a <laughs> like a no, no, I would tape all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would tape it well, I want to see like, that. Like, <laughs> I'm like, dude, that's like impressive. A, you want like to blind. <laughs> like a, like a ninja, just a little stripe. Uh, I got my, I got my horse that's what I was, blinders on. That's what oh, I was God. picturing. No, no, I'm no. like, dude, you've won races pretty much blind. That's impressive. Yeah, no, I'm glad. And I used to tape my eyes shut. That's what I did. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, do, do the goggles fog? Like, I mean, they're vented for a reason back there. Is it cause some some side effects? I don't have any. Pro- I don't have any problem with it now. Okay. No. Um. So hey, yeah, which is how crazy bad because other riders. Yep. How, how bad, bad was the vision on this night? Like with this lighting, like did was it scary? I mean, no, I don't. I don't remember it being you know like any worse than riding a like a night race you know <laughs> at, at your local track, which we all did a million times. And so I just kind of drew upon that, like yep. what's my level of safety? Like where do I feel? You know what? That's what I said. Is that each one of us? We're allowed to have our own opinion, and if the guys that chose not to ride, if their opinion was it's too dark and it's not safe, then hey, who is either one of us to judge that? You know, you know what I just realized is you might have actually you might have had an advantage at this race. I mean, all the guys who can see really good or are just blessed with <laughs> yeah. eyesight, you're used <laughs> to just seeing sh- like you can't see shit anyway. So that, yeah, that night it must have been just like another day, another walk in the park for you. <laughs> Could be, damn. Um, hey, Shit. Uh, <laughs> well, if McGrath would have just raced that night, I wouldn't have to wait another year to f- finally, uh, you know, win one uh, that way. So. Jeff, we were we were talking before the show about Larry uh, and Nolene and second in the series and all of that, and you know he he got second in the series, and you know we just telling us a little bit about his early results this year, uh, how and like how good was he this year, right? Like pr- really impressive yeah, on that was- bike, yeah. Well, and he, Larry was always really good at Supercross. 
Um, like we, and it, I mean, literally the end of the year, we go over to Europe and Japan. Larry would be one of the best guys, like mm-hmm. no problem, like multiple years. He just, he just, uh, he just seemed to be really comfortable there. So yeah. see, were you not on the team during that time? No, I was 99. I was long after that. Oh, okay. And my, oh, so yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. My first year, uh, mechanic, it was 96. So I was in the next year and I do remember 96 was a big improvement because the, at Denver, they had a flatbed trailer with Pizza Hut, and they handed you guys series-ending checks on the flatbed trailer with Pizza Hut at the, in Denver. So, yeah, remember that? Remember yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, we, we went big huh. that next year. And then, and then 97, though, we had a real banquet in Vegas. It was quite a step. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, you know, I don't remember having any specific conversations with Larry Ward or any of the guys after the race, um, Any anything other than – there was a lot of admiration from the fans and that all of us that chose to ride really had the appreciation that, hey, the fans were here. They waited, what, was it a couple hours or something during the break? And however many fans stayed that, okay, whoever rode the 135 main and the 250 main, thank you guys for putting on a show. Like, so that was yeah. really important. And, 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 I wouldn't say just then, but like, especially during that time, I think that I really valued uh, the level of fan support that I had and that I, I, I know that I, um, whatever I gave up from anybody that wanted to judge me negatively about that situation by racing that night Mm -hmm. that I won back tenfold with, with the fans. And, the comment I wanted to wait for to where we kind of went through the timeline here mm-hmm. is that after the race, the promoter, the head guys from the promoting groups that were there, they all came up and thanked me for racing. And I was standing with all of them, but I specifically remember Bill West, like, give me a big hug, man. I, we really appreciate you guys racing. Congratulations, all that. I was already on really good terms with, with, um, with um, uh, Gary Becker, mm-hmm. who would have been from Pace. And like I said, I'm not sure who would have been there from uh, Mickey Thompson Entertainment Group, but I but Bill's like giving me a big hug and like handshake and like man, thank you. Like I said, Bill, you guys have got to get us a fucking points fund together, dude. You know what's happening. You know what mm-hmm. you heard what's happening today, because there definitely was a feeling that, and like I said, I can't say for sure and I can't judge anybody, but there definitely was a feeling that that some people didn't ride because of that. And it seems a little too premature with like that conversation just started that day. So I I mean, if you had to put everybody on a lie detector test, I'm not sure anybody would, you know, be truthfully going, yeah, I didn't ride because of that. Well, Jeff, I I said this earlier, you're quoted in cycle news after the race saying, there's no points fund. They keep taking, taking, taking. We keep giving, giving, giving. We, the riders, are getting shortchanged. Safety was just part of the problem tonight. So you speak, you're speaking, you know, after the race about mm. issues, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Well, I know, I know that I when I said that to Bill, and I don't remember the exact words, but it was, you know, basically, yeah. dude, you guys got to do something for us. This is bullshit, and that even so, it almost was in a way a win-win for everyone that night because the fans still got a show. The promoters still got their race. Mm-hmm. Okay. But 
they didn't get Jeremy McGrath in the race and Team Honda and Team Kawasaki and whoever else didn't ride, and it was like, holy shit. <laughs> Those guys just revolted for whatever reason. They didn't ride, and I think that there was a real clear message sent um, by the whole event was like, hey, we need to do something for these for the athletes, you know. And the next year, we got some checks and free pizza. (laughs) No, but think about it. When you go from nothing, I mean, you know, I'm sure that the early days of NASCAR, there wasn't a big NASCAR banquet. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, here's some moonshine. We're sitting on the back of the truck. And, you know, (laughs) let me give you some cash or something, you know. So, you you know, you got to you got to start somewhere and and. um you know, so you don't think it's a coincidence then that even if 96, you know, okay, it wasn't as polished as it could be, but the improvement even for 96 and then by 97, do you think this 94 thing was a bit of a catalyst for that? Or 95, yeah. Sorry, yeah, 95. This this race was a bit of a catalyst for we started to see progress in 96. By 97, they had made big steps. So you do think this maybe did make an impact? I think it did, and yeah. I think that there the that they the promoting groups knew that they had to do something because they got a little appetizer of these guys will not ride if if they don't want to right they'll figure out if, if if we don't start sharing some of the profits in this thing properly then yeah, they're we're we're going to have a problem, and so they they started taking it down the right path. And I, you know, we knew the West uh, brothers and them from you know years of racing and on the East and and all that. And and I know that during that time period, like I mentioned, Gary Becker, he was really the first promoter. I feel, and I can only speak for myself and my generation, if you will, but where we started to develop a friendship where in the different times that we'd have dinner together or you'd have conversations or impromptu meetings or, you know, phone calls where they were listening. And I, 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 from my perspective, I feel like Gary was the guy that was listening. Now, whether he was the mechanism that went throughout the promoters group and like, Hey, we need to, we need to do something here. I don't, I can't say, but I feel like he was one of the first promoters that really listened to what us being the top athletes and sort of the representatives in that way that he was listening to what we had to say and what and what we felt we deserved. I did a podcast with Gary Becker maybe a couple of years ago, three years ago, and uh, what an interesting guy, what a cool guy, and yeah, he took us through all of that, and basically, yeah, he wanted to treat the riders better. He wanted to, you know, he, he used to talk about how Riders couldn't get passes for parents or wives or girlfriends. Like they had to pay for them, and he was just like, "What are we doing?" And uh, anyways, it's it's interesting podcast. Gary seemed like a great guy. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's still ludicrous to this day that athletes have to pay entry fees and crap like this. Um, did Michael Jordan have to pay to go play for the Bulls? You know, like, like, sure. Come on, you know what I mean, like. Um, so it's just, there are little bits and bobs like that. And the one thing that I will say is that a little love from the promoting group goes a long way with people. And there it's like the best discount that you can get on 
you know, an athlete or a rider is if you just treat them right, treat them, you know, humanly, this or that, and then, hey, can you come out to this 6 a.m. news hit that we're promoting the race or, you know, whatever, the things that they want you to do. Hey, we can you go do this, you know, promo thing or whatever the case you're like, yeah, of course, man. Right. You hook, hook me up with some tickets. I mean, some free tickets to a race. What's that really cost you out of your pocket or out of your mm-hmm. budget? Right? Yeah. Not much. Not much. Uh, anything? But, go, go ahead. No, no, no. Oh. That's it. Uh, That's anything it. else for Jeff Emery before we let him go? Weege? Rarick? No, I was just wondering about the money, but you said it was probably 50 grand. And then you, I think you moved up to third in points. Did that pay anything? Did that? Do you know? You know, it might have. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that contract's still laying around, but I mean... <laughs> <laughs> it was if if I did have second and third uh, in the championship bonuses during that time period, probably would have been good, good advantageous. Not go yeah. like championship only. You're like no. Um, yeah, so, weird, so Kudrowski is quoted as saying, "I had nothing to gain, nothing to gain, nothing to gain, everything to lose." So I'm like, clearly Kudrowski getting second or third in points was not any money for him. Yeah, I was wondering yeah. because he got uh, he went back to fourth with that, correct? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was one. I, I thought the same thing, Weech. Um, yeah. But he's quoted as saying, I had nothing to gain and everything to lose. So I'm like, clearly, second in points paid zero for whatever his deal yeah, is. <laughs> yeah, and you could tell that for Larry, it did, right? I mean, yeah. he might yeah. have had a fifty dollars to $100,000 bonus for a second in the championship back then, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so certainly uh, worth, you know, oh, yeah. taking the risk to ride on a, on a night where he didn't feel. That, that it was safe enough to ride, but he, he, was, he was forced to because I rode. So before we let you go, the question, yeah, what kind of repercussions did you get with from the, some of these guys um, for riding that night, and if, if at all? Yeah, so I don't remember having any real conversations with anyone. We kind of just got on with it. But mm-hmm. that night, McGrath had a massive party in this hotel suite somewhere mm-hmm. in Vegas. And all of our friends were all friends and everyone hung out. It was, you know, it is what it you know, was, what it was. We, we ended up in the same place a lot of times, right. you know what I mean? And uh, so we go to walk into the suite and, he, and I, it, I believe he was like standing close to the door and there was a sign on the door. It's like a big, like two door suite. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's a huge sign that said no race talk allowed or something to the, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. something along the lines of that. And I remember seeing him just whatever, you know, shakes my hand, whatever, we get on with it. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no yeah. race dog allowed. Yeah. 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 And I also, if I remember correctly that night, who was the running back for the Lions? Was that Barry Sanders? Yeah, Barry Sanders. I think Barry Sanders was at that party for some <laughs> reason. No, no, I'm serious. I think it was Barry Sanders, and somebody could correct me if they remember, but it was an NFL guy. And he was like in one of the bedrooms. Like, nobody was staying in there. He was, like, in one of the bedrooms watching TV. Very And then I, like, and then I like cruised in so, so I could, like, use the bathroom, right? And I was like, oh, hey, what's up? And he was chilling. I don't know. I did <laughs> yeah, have a few Alaska. adult beverages that – yeah. I, I did have a few adult beverages that night. So, once again, I can't say that it's factual. I'm just saying that that's how I remember it. Okay? <laughs> so, I'll leave it at that. Yep. I'll leave and it at that. And that was it, though. You, nothing – no race talk that night, but then – the next national or no one called you on Monday and said, Hey man, we were supposed to stick together. Like it, everybody just moved on. I think everybody just moved on. 
Yep. Yeah. Um, I I gotta now, say, if you, yeah. if you would have said Deion Sanders, I'd believe that. But Barry Sanders, Ooh, that would have that would have been rad. He wouldn't have been by himself in the bedroom. No. Uh, no, no. Even if he was in the bedroom, somebody would have been with him. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> what I what it's I think. I, so I, Weege knows Roy Jensen better than I do, but I go back with Roy when he was AMA guy, and he he's got a temper. Uh, he's an ex Marine, you know, drill sergeant. He yelled at me for Gainesville parking one time. He yelled at some other rider who didn't want to go out in his practice. I remember, and Roy could be really intimidating. I can't imagine what Roy was like this night. I, I don't even want to Dude, know. He, fucking, he yells at everybody. What are you talking about? <laughs> Dude, just, you should have seen in the first 125 shootout at L.A. Coliseum when Doug Henry crashed on that double jump after the finish line. Mm-hmm. I come through. I jumped the double. Budman is behind me. He's like, fuck it, I'm going to jump the double too. The next lap we come around, there was probably about three feet between the flagger and the hay bale because they were hay then. And I said, I got Buddy on my ass. I said, I'm going to jump this thing again. Mm-hmm. Okay? <laughs> After the race, he has Buddy and I in the AMA trailer. His his head, right, he didn't have all of his hair. Uh, you know, most of it was starting to go. His forehead was just red, and there was just these <laughs> veins and, and shit popping out. And he's just like, ah, I'm gonna, like he wanted to kill us. And he's like, what are you guys thinking? And if you know Roy, you know what I'm saying. And he's a great guy, like love the guy, right? Yeah. But he goes, if it was up to me, I would disqualify both of you two and find both of you two. <laughs> but it's not. Ron Crandall, the late Ron Crandall. Yeah was the referee so it was up to ron and i was like really friendly friendly with ron we all were he's great he's a great guy and he's just rolling his eyes like what are you guys putting me in the position to have to do right and we made like i made like two grand for winning and buddy probably made a grand or something um which we're like loving it you know we thought that was the most money in the world and ron's like okay Roy like leaves the trailer and Ron's like, okay, Roy's going to fucking kill me if I don't do something. <laughs> he goes, I got to find you both 500 bucks. And we're like, okay, cool. We're not disqualified or like, yeah, yeah. you know, like any of this. So then we were cool. With it. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, great. Uh, hey, uh, before, before we let you go, I got one random question. Um, during the post-race interview, you had, there was an SMP logo on your Jersey. My memory of SMP was the baggy, it was the baggy freestyle. Yeah. But yeah. you oh, obviously yeah. were wearing Thor at that time. What was up with that, uh, the SMP logo? Yeah. So we had like during that year, like that was when the action sports companies, like that was, you know, like that was an apparel company out of San Diego that made all this, you know, shit that we thought was cool in 1995, you know, around that time, which was very dated. Um, and then I was wearing like, at that point I was wearing Arnett sunglasses, but Scott goggles, I was wearing Mm -hmm. Thor gear, but they didn't make, you know, really sportswear per se, other than t-shirts and stuff. So so I had an SMP. It it was really just apparel. It kind of started like no fear started, but just apparel or uh, casual wear. Um, Like skate, surf, snow, you know, you know, streetwear, if you will. Later on. Uh, Fro, remember the LBZ crushed velvet corduroy pants, all that? We we did that. Yeah, SMP wasn't <laughs> far off of that. It was, yeah, it was, it was not quite that far. Um, 
in that zone, but there right. were certainly some uh, some shirts and some big baggy corduroy pants and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff that um, my son is actually wearing now. <laughs> He's 16. He's finding like 90s stuff. He thinks is the coolest stuff ever. He's buying this retro it, it, stuff. And I'm like, back, dude, fat damn. Always comes back every 20 years. It's it's circular. That's right. That's right. So so Arnett, because you did end up wearing Arnett a couple of years later, but in 95, they just weren't making goggles yet. There was just sunglasses. Yeah, we didn't do goggles till 97. Okay, I got you. Um. I, Awesome, uh, awesome, Jeff. Thank you for the time, Lee at Reracables Vegas '95. Good stories, man. Yeah, thank you. Congrats on the win. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so fun. I appreciate it, Seth, Steve, Weege. Uh, always great to talk to you guys, and uh, appreciate everybody listening into these Reracables and letting us go down memory lane, clarify some things, uh, and uh, just you know, take that uh, walk down memory lane one more time. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks to Jeff Emig for jumping on the Reraceables. Thank you, folks. The Decal Works, Pulpamex 24. It's the code to save with Decal Works. Red Bull KTM. Uh, Seth Rarick works for them or something. I don't know. But they use Decal Works uh, for AP and uh, and everybody over there, amongst others. Uh, Chase Sexton. Uh, Pulp 24 is code to save with Decal Works. A great guys, great company, and uh, they can design you anything you want. Thank you as well to Scott Goggles. Uh, Jeff Emig wearing Scott Goggles in Vegas 95. Uh, whether it's Monster Energy Pro Circuit, whether it's Jason Anderson, Caleb, Russell uh, when he was racing Walker Fowler, Quad God uh, they all choose a quality product and support from Scott. Scott is excited to relive iconic moments in the sport with the Re-Raceables podcast many of which have included Scott Goggles Scott, the only goggle made in the USA they've been providing the best in goggle technology to all motorsport disciplines for over 50 years thank you Scott for coming on board um, okay, so just on the Barry Sanders story um, <laughs> I texted <laughs> did you think you were going to say those no, words when the no, began? no, but I did text a guy named Danny Stevenson, and said, I just want to confirm, were you there? Do you remember any of this? And he said, I have no recollection of Barry Sanders in Vegas. So Danny doesn't remember, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. I'm not saying that. No. But yes. But, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, that's awesome. Dude, there's so many other names from the NFL I would I would uh picture before Barry Sanders. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> but uh That yeah. would be epic if he was there though. Oh, it would be amazing. And, and he might have been. He very well could have been. Who knows? These guys back then, right? Um so all right, 250 main. I got a couple things uh I want to mention is that Jeff DeMant is on fire for two laps, and then you don't see him, and then he's on fire for two laps, and he's crushing Dude, he, the whoops, and then he's not he, crushing the whoops. <laughs> he was up front in the heat, the semi, and, and so something happened to him, both the heat semi. Then he wins the LCQ. Yep. Then he then he whole shots the main. Yep. And, and is ripping in the main, crashes or something. And then, yeah, rip, yeah just like you and, said, he had a very strange night. Uh, Kyle Lewis was in the mix the whole time as well. Kyle Lewis was right up there. And eventually, though, Larry gets second, Larry Ward, and Dowd gets third. Dowd, they don't show him for more than 10 seconds. And Dowd, he's third. <laughs> yeah, and how about Brownie on a big bike? I don't remember Brownie in a 250 Supercross riding that well, but he was he was crushing it that night. Yeah, six for Mike Brown. Uh, I also like, did you hear Art throw in the, uh, the purse money will be divided by only the men who are racing tonight. <laughs> so him and him and Bailey were all over the map. This they were confused. Marty Marty Reed was the pit reporter as well for back then. So Yeah, long um, time off road desert and Mickey Thompson truck guy, but uh yeah. dispatched to Supercross. 
Actually, Denny just uh, texted me right now and said he was not at Vegas 95. Oh. So he cannot confirm nor deny the Barry story. Oh. Yeah. I, I love how hard Marty Reed tried to play up the battle for second and points. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. He yeah. tried to play that up so hard. And, well, uh, well, it seemed like uh, Wardy did care a little bit, but um, – but, uh, yeah, Kudrowski, really, you could tell he could care less. <laughs> I went uh, one time in uh, before the last round at Paula, or maybe it was Elsinore, and Weimer and Short were battling for top five in the <laughs> points, and I tried to get them going. Like, they were right in the shoot waiting to go out. And I'm like, here we go, boys. Here we go. Fifth is on the line. And, like, they basically were like, get lost, loser. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know. I can vouch for that. It was pretty shocking, though. I mean, um, Larry Ward says, I talked to LaRocco, and he told me all of Kudrowski's tricks. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I know. <laughs> and then that Kudrowski says, well, yeah, I am notorious for that, for taking people out. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, all right, yeah, moving on. It, it was a weird main event, for sure, because DeMent and Lewis were in 80% of the footage and, and finished fifth and sixth. <laughs> and Dowd was nothing and got third. So, um, a, uh, two, two Larry Ward stories real quick. Uh, well, I had one, but I used guys just made me think of another is remember when Jeff Ward, uh, was training Sealy in this is like 2015, 2016 ish. Yep. Um, during that era, it had to be off season of 15. Coop was on star and he was riding with, uh, he was riding with Sealy a good bit that off season for some reason. But anyway, I remember we were at star West or state fair, whatever you call it. We were there one day and, Jeff Ward was there with Sealy, and you guys remember Eric Gass, Coop's old mechanic? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, yeah. So Eric Gass is obviously Aries Wrench for Coop, and, you know, they ride together. We hang out the whole day. Um, you know, we load up. We're all saying bye or whatever, and uh, Eric Gass, Jeff Ward is telling everyone, all right, bye, see you later, see you tomorrow, whatever. And Eric Gass goes, later, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> no. Dude, I lost it. Still, still till this day, I will randomly text Eric and just say, later, Larry. <laughs> oh. uh, but uh, the main story I want to tell is I hope some people listening to this will recognize the name Lonnie Taylor or will know who that is. Mm-hmm. I know Weeds does. Uh, he's a good old boy from North Carolina. He's for years had a supercross track at his house. Back when really no one had supercross tracks, uh, Lonnie went. Uh, he he drove trucks for many teams throughout the pits. Most recently, it was a Pirelli guy. He's actually uh, currently Husky off road uh, truck driver, so he would have been at Big Buck today. But anyway, uh, I met Lonnie uh, maybe end of 08, 09-ish. Um, first supercross track I ever rode was his house and for anyone that's ridden there this place was insane it was supercross track on steroids was not a good learning supercross track or a good first place to ride (laughs) so long story short my first time around there he would tell me i'm just trying to get around the damn track and he would tell me to jump some crazy rhythm and i remember the first week there i crashed my brains out trying to jump something i wasn't shouldn't have been shouldn't have been jumping and Robbie Marshall brought me there. That was the connection, how I met Lonnie. And Robbie says, hey, he warned me after I crashed. He goes, hey, Lonnie's line is um, Pavoni did it because James Pavoni used to ride at his track all the mm-hmm. time back in the day. So Lonnie's famous line for anyone that came to ride his track, he would tell them to jump some rhythm. And if they would say no or they would crash or they would say, no, Lonnie, you're crazy. His line would say his line would always be Pavoni did it. Pavoni did it. And I always heard that. And Robbie would always tell me, dude, this 
Pavoni never wrote this track layout. Pavoni hasn't written here in 10 years. Stop telling people Pavoni did it. <laughs> so that was always kind, of, always kind of a running joke. Well, fast forward to this past summer at Washougal, uh, when Larry Ward lived in South Carolina, Lonnie built all his tracks, and Lonnie was really good friends with him. So he also told me a million Larry Ward stories, but I've never met Larry Ward. Washougal 2023, for some reason, Larry Ward was there. Yeah, he was, uh, we, he was on our live show that night, the Friday night. He was on our live oh, show. Oh, was he really? Yes, yes. Okay, so after practice, I walk in the truck, and he's in there talking to Roger and Ian. And Ian looks at me and goes, hey, Seth, have you ever met Larry? I said, no, I didn't. All right, no, I haven't. I go to shake his hand. I said, you know Lonnie Taylor? Dude, I swear to God, the first words out of his mind is, Pavoni did it. <laughs> <laughs> you, had to, you were dying. You were. You had to die. I lost it, dude. Oh, man. Oh. it was. I really hope Robbie Marshall listens to this. Or anyone that knows Lonnie, if they hear this, they will die at that story. Because everyone, everyone got the Pavoni that's, treatment. That's the same. St- now we're sidetracking. But Gene Numack's dad built some gnarly track uh, up in there, New England or wherever. And... Just insane jumps, and he only got a jump with Swink, and so he would just tell me, "Swink did it, Swink did it," and the guys had to go tell Brian, "Brian, don't jump this shit." My dad, like my dad, watches you and tells us we're we're gonna die if we try this stuff, and you're the only guy that can jump it. Uh, yeah, it was a Swink did it story. But Weege, tell uh, tell the Larry Jeff story uh, from, the, from the live show. Larry's jet story. I don't remember. What was the story? You tell me. Oh, yeah. So Larry from, from to- last year. Larry yeah. told us that uh, obviously Larry's from Washington, just like Ryan Villapoto. And uh, Larry said after RV won Seattle, uh, Larry called RV and was like, hey, man, that's so cool. You won Seattle. Like, so did I. And like, you know, Pacific Northwest guys. And it's really cool to do that, uh, to win your hometown race. I just want to say congrats or whatever. And there was a pause. And Larry said, RV was like, is this is this Jeff Ward? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Is this Jeff Ward? Uh, RV. So, anyways, good good story. Uh, One twenty five. Real quickly. Um, like Fro said, they, they look like they're going three miles an hour. Like somehow Damon Huffman's the baddest dude this year, and he looks like he's going three miles an hour. He's doubling the triples for a lot of the race. Yeah, we're coming around the start, like the first turn on the inside. Oh, my God. It is three miles an hour. Yeah, it's it's something else, man. Um, and then Rhino wins. Huffman somehow halfway through catches fire. He's a bike length behind him at the finish, according to Cycle News. Uh, but he can't get it done at the end. And Pingree's third. And Pingree's quote in Cycle News is, uh, you know, I've been sick all day. I've got something going. Like, so just just know folks that the riders being sick and still doing well it was around in 95 you know <laughs> yeah the, the old i'm sick how many times have we heard that from the guys so <laughs> um it was also um to tell you like i i turn this on i'm watching it on youtube and my kid comes by and he's like what are you watching i'm like this is a 1995 vegas supercross and he watches damon huffman and i'm like dude damon huffman was such a bad dude in these days he was so <laughs> dominant and he just looks he pauses and he goes why is he so slow? <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I know. It's so sad, it's, dude. It's not good. It's not good to the Wolves. It's not good everywhere. And But just I want our listeners to know, Damon Huffman was bad dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, a little a little off subject from this race, but this same summer, do you remember Huffman leading the points for like half the series without winning a race? Oh, outdoors, dude. He was killing it. Yes, yep. but he didn't, he didn't win a, an overall. He, he was leading the points still. I think it was halfway. 
Yeah. And I don't know what happened after that. It, did did Lammy just catch catch fire? Lammy missed um I think high point maybe. Lammy like missed races at the beginning. He was like fifty points down. Oh, so Lammy's like winning races and and I think Rhino would be shocker up and down. Like Rhino would win and then Rhino would get like a ninth. He'd imagine, go, like, imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. And then like Huffman yeah. would just be getting like a moto win here and there, but like going three five and everybody else was all over the map until eventually Lammy gained enough points. So Lammy won that title with missing a race. Um, I think it might be the biggest comeback ever. I think he came back from 50 or even 60 points down. Yeah. Timmy, Timmy said he was on Suzuki this year and his first ever national moto win was Hangtown. I think 95 mm-hmm. and he won. And, but Huffman needed him for the overall and they were telling him to pull over. And he said he was like, fuck that. Like, I've never won a moto in my life, right? And oh. so he won the moto, cost Damon the overall, and everyone was pissed at him. <laughs> everyone at Suzuki was pissed. <laughs> yeah, but Hangtown was early on, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And why are they counting points so damn early? They just wanted him to win the overall. They wanted Damon to win the overall. Yeah, but I mean, dude, that's so early to worry about that. No, it wasn't for points. Yeah, it was, it was just, just for the we overall. want Suzuki to win the race. Yeah. Like, help your teammate win the overall today. Yeah, but dude, Suzuki's going to win it. Timmy won the moto. Yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I feel like that's a little premature. I don't know, man. He said everyone was mad. He said he was he was happy, and everyone was mad. So, um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, anything else you want to go into categories? Anything? Uh, I just want to mention okay. in this cycle news coverage here. It's a weird one. In the briefly section, which is just little news and notes. Last week at the San Jose Supercross, Ryder Sunday Get Well poster for actor Christopher Reeves, who was injured in an equestrian competition. And at Las Vegas, the Ryder signed another poster and sent it to baseball great Mickey Mantle, who is recovering from a liver transplant. <laughs> wow. What? <laughs> what? Why? I don't know, but that's, cr- that's, that's cross-referencing sports, man. That's what, that's, that's what Feld lives to do these days. So we were <laughs> doing – And really get to make through some dirt bike racers he's never heard of saying a poster. <laughs> hey, Mick, some guy named Jenny McGruff. Says uh, get yeah, well soon. Get well soon. Okay, man. Put it in the hey, pile. Was, was this the was this the era when if you were to race, you know, one twenty five west or one twenty five east, you had to have a west coast address or vice versa? I think they had dropped that by then. I think. Okay, I'm just wondering because when I looked at the one twenty five results, it is clearly all west coast guys. Besides Scott Sheik, and his address is still listed as New York. Mm-hmm. But I don't know why Sheik raced West that year. That is very, very who did Suzuki in '95? He was just privateer, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Why would you race West? I don't understand that. Everyone <laughs> else makes sense, but Sheik is a true East Coast guy in this field. Uh, also, in the notes too, uh, Craig Decker crashed uh, when his shock broke on the Suzuki. It was factory Suzuki this year? Because this is when he broke his back. This is when he broke his back. Now I didn't see this, but people have told me. It was one of the most horrendous crashes ever, and he was carted off. Yeah, it was in practice, I guess. So um, when I was watching this, I got into uh, a rabbit hole, and uh, I, I ended up on Decker's vault. Have you ever done a pod with Decker? Because he has to have one of the strangest careers yeah. in the history of the sport. Yeah, he sat out for a year, got a ride with Mitch, didn't do much after that. Went to, yeah, and he sat out for like four years. Yep. And then came back into the whole year, and I have zero recollection of that. He went to Canada for a while. He was up there racing. I, I, yep, uh, I yep. remember, I remember he, that. He actually said he wasn't interested in doing a pod. I asked him one time, years ago. He, 
he has a very, very strange, strange career. Um, all right, Lee at Reraceables categories. Uh, let's do this, Liat.com. Thank you to those guys. Thanks to Jeff Emig, by the way, for jumping on. And uh, again, Liat, Decal Works, Guts, Maxis, Scott Goggles, all on board with us, Weege and Seth Rarick on here. Um, okay, uh, who really won the race, Weege? I'm going to go with Emig. All right. All right. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't really argue. I mean, unless you want to go Jeff DeMant, he showed me something. <laughs> that is three laps of fury. I'll give you I that. I mean, he's on a, okay. He's on a 95 KTM. Aren't these the tapioca bikes or were these white? I don't remember. Uh, and he's up front and I'm like, Jeff DeMant. factory? Well, RRP ran it. RRP that, ran, that, was their, that was their yeah. factory effort. It was yes. their factory effort run through RRP. <clears throat> Wait, is this hey, New Jersey based no then? Yeah. No link through the whoops? No, the, they had a link back in. What? Yeah, they only went to the, went to the no link in like 97. Really? Yeah. I had, wow, no idea. Got Come on, you got to know your KTM history here. Yeah, I did not know they went away from it. Um, hey, it worked for Nate Dog in 2005. It did. <laughs> We're just going to keep referencing that. <laughs> uh all right um seth who really won the race uh i'll go rhino because there's no arguing that no one showed up or, or yeah some didn't show up i mean right and i like rhino at the end he goes i'm so done with 125s again yeah. folks oh. just remember in 95 the, the guys were also saying that you know they were also saying that um all right who's that guy award um i had to go far back the mains i know everybody if seth says the name that I think he might say, I'm going to reach to the phone here and strangle him. But uh, he may not say it. We'll go. But I have, I have three written down that I did not know. I'll go 250 LCQ, sixth place behind Dave Castillo, Chad Swanjack. No idea. <laughs> sixth yeah, in the LCQ, where, not far get, off. How yeah. are you getting the LCQ results? Cycle News. We had to go to Cycle News. Okay, where is Chad Swan Swanjack from? They don't tell you. It doesn't tell you, but I can I can Google the vault. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah we can look at okay, go results, Weege, Weege, what do you got? Yeah, Swanjack was the first one I had not heard of. Uh, Alex McLea, who finished behind Swanjack in the semi. Come on, Weege. No, is that a guy? That's a he. He was on. The, he started. He owned half of the PJ One team that I was on the next year. Team Extreme. Yeah, yes. <laughs> he, it, it's, it's, Mikhail, it? it's Mikhail. Yeah, I believe. Not. Not over yeah, you. Yeah, Mikhail. Yeah. What do you mean he owned it? Was he like uh, yeah, Bubba like, Pauly out here? He's like rider and owner. He he put money into it, and then the, <laughs> Gary Bubba Gary, Bubba Gary the dealership guy put money into it, um, and then yeah, it's the team that brought Button back. Yeah. Uh, so you guys, you guys looked at both main event results, and you didn't come up with any. No. Well, the problem is, first of all, there's only 14 guys in the 215 main. No, 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 no. So 125s. You guys looked at the 125 main and did not have a who's that guy award. I don't believe I did see anybody. No, I didn't. I didn't know. I, no, I'm looking right now. I know, really? I know everybody. Really? And if you say the guy, I think you're going to say I'm going to I'm going to hang up on you. Okay. Well, I I got three. Okay. So wait a minute. Update on Chad Swanjack. Um, no vault results. So the gentleman never did made not, a main. You never made a main. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. Seth, go ahead. Okay. Uh, so you guys are telling me that you're extremely familiar with Eric Graves. Yeah. Really? His only race, his only entry in the vault. 
This was it? Oh, well, so... Eric, Eric Gray is from Roseburg, yeah, Oregon. So, you just, what, did you just get dinner with him the other day? Okay. You're really familiar with Eric Gray? Wait, let me know when I can speak, sir. Uh, I'll keep going. I mean, uh, Brian Ty, Roth. I work for Ty Birdwell. I work for Ty Birdwell up in from Oregon. And Eric Graves was a regular on the circuit up there as far as uh, Lake View or Mountain View and uh, Albany track and racing up there. Uh, I think he went raced in Canada even. So Eric Graves, yes, familiar with Eric Graves. <laughs> what, okay, Brian Roth, Brian, you know that? Brian Roth was a five foot six guy, no hair, shaved head. Uh, he wore extreme for a long time. And uh, I think he was a high des guy. Uh, Sacramento, it said. Oh, okay. Sorry. No, yeah. the vault. I, I just didn't know what to believe with Brian Roth because it says he raced from 1990 to 03. So I should be ashamed of myself yeah. for not knowing who Brian Roth is. But on the flip side of that, I also found a discrepancy because it also says Steve Andrich had like a 20 year career. And then I found out most of his results are Casey Johnson's. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll switch that around. Um, <laughs> Weej, are you familiar with Roth, Graves, and Andrich? Well, uh, definitely oh, no, Andrew. Andrew, Andrew wasn't who I was going to say, but okay. Um, the the two of the three, yes, I just remember them as results. As far as Graves, I, I've been mixing him up with a Tony Graves who raced in the early '90s, but I didn't want to admit that I didn't know the difference in the two of them. So I'm like, yeah, anyone with the last name Graves is familiar. Uh, also, Brian Roth was like a big four-stroke uh, nationals guy, like when everyone kind of like was doing those, you know? Yeah, yeah. Roth was Kelly, one of those. Kelly Smith, yeah, Kelly Smith doing yeah. those. Yeah, two time, Jim. Steve, who did you yeah. think I was going to say? I thought you were going to say Fournette. No, I know Jason Fournette. Okay, yeah, that, Canadian guy. Yeah, that was my Didn't guy. Did he ride on the Manchester Honda thing? 97? He did. He got a he got a fill in ride for Robbie Skaggs. Yep. No, I know Jason. And he, he went to he went to Bradshaw for advice and was he was really struggling because he, he was riding two fifties and he jumped down one twenty fives and the bike wasn't good. Dude, there's no way Bradshaw knew who he was. Well, they were teammates, so they. He yes, knew, still, there's no way he. Knew no, who no, he was. no. Yeah, but Bradshaw was friendly to him, and he went to Bradshaw for advice, and was like, "Dude, what? I'm so struggling." And Bradshaw was like, "I don't know, man. Just fucking twist the throttle." That's that was all Bradshaw all right. said. Yep, and he went, "Okay, right. cool, man. Awesome." Um, all right. Uh, what else for categories? Lee at Reraceables, Lit Kid Award. I got mine. Yeah. Oh, I got mine. Okay, I think we, you, you and I are going to be the same. This is not just a lit kit here. Much like uh, what did Kudrowski say? Some guys race for today. Some guys race for the future. For the day. Some yeah. guys race for the year. Is yeah. that what Kudrowski said? Yeah. Kudrowski for lit kit. No, no, no. This, I'm oh, only using okay. Kudrowski for the quote. Oh, okay. Uh, which is, this is not just today's lit kit or this race or this episode. This could be the all-time litest kit that has ever existed. Damon Huffman's Axo setup in 95 can go yeah. up against any gear I ever created. I knew you were going to say oh, that. Wow. Oh, my God. It, it, oh, all so three good. of us have the same then. It was mine, too. Yeah, number one really? with the gear. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Well, it, oh, no, I mean, it's easy. it's easy. Every pod we do, I always say McGrath, no fear, or or McGrath, Fox. So I just yep. I don't want to keep repeating myself. So Huffman, Axo, with the number one on the Suzuki was badass. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and yep. you know, his Axo deal cost him a factory Honda ride. He loved AXO so much he signed a multi-year deal with Jim Hale at AXO. And then in 90 – when did he go to Cali? 96? Going to 96. Yeah. yeah. They offered him a Honda ride, and he said uh, they had a, a Fox deal. He couldn't get out of his AXO deal. He took the Cali deal. So Wow. Yeah. So that Fox deal with Honda, was that was a team deal? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So what could have been for Damon Huffman's career? But you're right, Weege. I knew you were going to say this because, Weege, you've talked about it a lot. AXO, Huffman. Yep. Every time I see Damon, I don't think he realizes. I mean, I just I just flood him with this. So I've only seen him three or four times. We kind of 
he was way before my time covering yeah. the races. But when I see him, he was at LA uh, SMX last year, and I was just all over him. Yeah. I'm like, dude, the gear 95, the number one Suzuki, he was unreal. We should get him on one of these. We got to find a race. He he's he's great. No, we did. Oh, we did. We did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oops. No, we did. We did. Um, <laughs> what did when we he did? won uh, Troy when it was 110 degrees. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we yeah. just yeah. like he, yeah, he was like good. didn't he, he go one one? Yeah, he went one one. Yeah. Worked Rick. Worked Carmichael. Like worked yep. everybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah, his Axo setup on Suzuki was sick. Okay, shit kid award, Liat Reraceables. I'm going Nolene. I'm going extreme Nolene. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. You guys? I kind of like theirs, but if you look at the, the KTM dudes, which I think is what, Dement and Amaradio? Yeah. the KTM guys? Yep. That's like an even worse version. So, <laughs> but then I'm like, you know what? No, there's something even worse out there. It's Albi. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh. How do you even say it, by the way? Biafe? Yeah, Biafe. Yeah. 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 Bro. It's not yeah, good. Bad, bad. It's not good. <laughs> yeah. I had, uh, I didn't know which one to go with since you went with Albi. I'm just going to go with Kudrowski MSR. It was really no, bad. No, he's answer. He's at that answer. answer, yeah. Or, or is it answer? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, oh, not good. It was not bad. good answer though. It was no, not. no, it was not good. But I, it's hard to be worse than Albie's look though. It's really so Albie was on your list. He, he, yeah, I had. I mean, him and Kudrowski both were really bad to me. But I mean, <laughs> Albie, you have to give Albie the nod as the worst looking but, gear okay. maybe of all time. Okay, I, I should have said that. I regret not saying that. Imagine but... if he had M two R helmet, that would have topped it off. <laughs> You hate the M2R. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I got so much shit after that last pod about M2R. I just don't get how people like those helmets. <laughs> I, I saw no problem with an M2R helmet. Like, Medi wore it. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, disgusting. Kyle, okay. Disgusting. Um, hey, is uh, when it comes to shit kit, lick kit, is 95 the biggest range of good to bad gear we've ever seen? Yeah, maybe. Mm. Unless you count the Fox stuff that would look like an aquarium. In like oh, 2010. Yeah, but I feel like when we talk about those 2010 races, we're like, man, even Fox couldn't make it look good. Pretty much all gear looked bad at that time. Mm -hmm. We've got, yeah, between Huffman and McGrath, some and and Fox with Henry and their other guys, some of the best looking gear ever, and also some of the worst looking gear ever. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. Good points. Um, yep. Uh, Rarick, how do you feel about like mid 80s JT stuff? Because weed shits on it, and I, I mm -hmm. can't believe mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. um, it. It's better than when JT tried to make a comeback in 2012, I'll tell yeah. you that. Yeah, yeah, without a uh, doubt. Yeah, I don't know. Ne neither here nor there for okay. me. I think a answer of the 80s was the, the best. Oh, my God, Jesus. Um, I do. Also, uh, for people who were listening, uh, we told Rarick to start looking down YouTube for, I think it's a Moto World episode. But Tony Amaradio and Jeff Demand get into a fist fight on the track at Washugal as teammates. It's great. Yeah, I need to catch that or yeah. find that. Yeah, it's great. Uh, Liet Reraceables, where's JT? Well, we texted him. Uh, he said he was in the 10th grade. He said, my parents had made me turn out the bedroom lights before Roy turned out the lights in Vegas. So, yeah, good stuff from JT. Um, yes. Okay, uh, Leah Reraceable's Jacob Marsak Award for the rider did the best that you don't realize. I mean, obviously with the with the limited participation in the 250 class, there's there's some guys. Um, what, what what do you got, Weege? 
Uh, I'm going to go uh, way off the radar here. And um, I just want to, is this, this is our guy, Mike Ulrich, in these results here, right? From Yamaha? Yeah. Yeah. That's our guy, yeah. right? Wait, yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. Yamaha's media manager. Yep. No way. Yeah. Where, where wow, does, I... What does he get? What does he finish? Um, <clears throat> He's in the semis. He's in the 250 class. Uh, he doesn't make it in. What does he get? Like, I think he gets like ninth in a semi. Sixteenth oh, in semi two. Yeah, sixteenth in semi two, and he is in the LCQ. Does a little bit better. Anyway, apologies to our guy Mike Ulrich if he did way better than this, and I didn't wasn't aware of it. But just shout out to. I mean, I'm just I was just literally hanging out with the guy for three days at this Yamaha event. He's Yamaha's press manager now, and um, just cool to see him in the results. You know, I'm sure at the time he's frustrated he didn't make the main, but honestly, if you're you know, if you have a pro license and you're racing 250 Supercross, you're a pretty bad dude. I dude, believe- I'm going to start bench racing with him. I didn't know he ever raced. I uh, feel like an idiot now. He, I believe, I'm not sure. He's told me all about it. We've talked about it. I think he wore some fucked up gear. You have to ask him what he wore. He he got some deal from, a, I don't remember the name of the company, but he, you know, he's a struggling privateer. They offer him, you know, $100 to wear some gear. And so he took it. I think there's a weird. Dude, it can't be worse than the gear now. Like the private shoes were like uh, OGs and. Adrenaline what's, now. Yeah. What's yeah. going on with that? Dude, what is happening with the gear companies now? Like, come on. Whoa. Serious? Uh, Whoa. So the Jacob Marsak Award, though, could be. This is Kyle Lewis's best ever. I just searched the vault. This is Kyle Lewis's best ever Supercross finish. So. Uh, I'm going. Uh, I don't want to judge anything off the 250 class because, okay. like I said, they're with limited participants. So I'm going Jacob Marsak Award, who also was a a topic of conversation in our Houston 01 pod for bad reasons. Jeff Hedden, sixth place in Vegas 95, yeah. and completely died in the heat race in Houston 01. Yeah, yeah. And you look at the guys he beat. He beat some good guys. You know. Yeah. 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 Jeff Hedden. This was his. Uh, yes, he had a seventh at Pontiac the following year, but this was his best finish. I think there's only three factory guys in this race, right? Because Hughes, Huffman, Ping, Sheik's, yeah, pri- Sheik's a privateer, Swap's a privateer, Deegan's a privateer. I don't think there's any factory guys in this race. Yeah. Shout out to uh, Blair Morgan, who got 19. Yes, I saw that. And then, so this is 95. So four years earlier, I was beating Blair Morgan at local races, and now he's... Dude, you were not beating Blair Morgan. Absolutely. <laughs> what was he, seven? He was a couple <laughs> years younger, but I was beating him. Dude, you were not. Okay, all right, here we go, here we go. You were not beating Blair Morgan. <laughs> Holy <laughs> fuck, dude. Wait, isn't that the video? There's, isn't there a video of this? <laughs> there's actually video proof. I was going to tell Rarick that. <laughs> oh, no, no, Rarick. You got to see this. Uh, his his current height, Rarick. Okay. Uh, Rarick. I need every piece of evidence. Go to Rarick. Rarick. No, 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 no. Rarick. Go what to Pulp MX YouTube. Type in Saskatoon. I think I named it Saskatoon Slaughter. And you will <laughs> see me beating Blair Morgan on video. Like you guys lined up same gate drops, same yes. size motorcycle? Yes. Okay, this wasn't his first race back from injury. No, or... but so I, I've told the story before. I would go to Saskatchewan, and we would battle, and I would beat him. He was younger than me, so, you know, I did have a bit of an edge. And then I came back. <laughs> yeah, you had an edge. Because I was older. <laughs> I was I was older by, I think I'm three years older. <laughs> Anyways, 
And then I came. He okay. Forget forget the story there, Rick. Just watching the eighty-five class three years makes a pretty big difference. No, even on big bikes, we each even on big bikes. Yeah, but Uh, then he went to California, and I went back to Saskatchewan to race him, and I never saw him all day. Like I was like, oh, like he got really good, and I never saw him, and it was the end of the any comparison at all between myself and Blair Morgan. So that's it. You were a California. Trip, trip away, away. Yeah. no i think i think i went to florida in 89 it didn't help yeah so um anyways Seth, right. you gotta watch this race to see steve stuffing himself was it a kx85 kx85 yeah yeah i need i need lots of proof i need to somehow call your mom and verify that is you on the motorcycle okay I need all sorts of you can hear- announcing no there's announcing in this yep you can hear the announcer yeah and steve i, I mean I don't know how your knees ever recovered from being on this 85. <laughs> hey, the, the worst part is I rode them the next year also. And I oh, I finally had to get off them when I blew the shock bladder apart on a landing. Jeez. I blew the shock <laughs> apart, hot oil all over my leg. Uh, and, 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 I, and my dad was like, okay, we're pulling a, we're pulling a plug. That's it. So, um, all right. Let me know, Rarick, about watching that video. And thanks to Jeff Emig for the time on the Liat Reracables. And uh, Vegas 95. Hope you guys enjoy. Weege, Rarick, thanks, boys. Thanks. See ya. All right. Thanks, guys. See ya.